Welcome to Unraveling Pink. This is Annie Rogaski, and it's my pleasure today to sit down with Janine Yancey, who is the founder and CEO of M-Train. Welcome, Janine. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. There has been a lot of discussion recently in the VC space, but even beyond the VC space, about sexual harassment and gender issues generally. And it seems like there's been a lot more interest and discussion around it from men and women generally and around the offices. People are talking more about gender issues and how things are playing out both in the VC space, but also generally in the office. And your company is squarely in the middle of this type of discussion. So can you tell us a little bit about M-Train? So certainly. So M-Train is a online platform that provides educational content, expert best practices and guidance, as well as analytics on issues such as harassment and unconscious bias and ethics and all the workplace issues that affect all of us every day. Why did you start M-Train? I started it because my background is as an employment lawyer working with a lot of companies. And, and at the time I started M-Train, I was working with a lot of tech companies in particular and saw that there needed to be a online solution in real time for not only education and best practices, but also to give people some guidance to help them navigate workplace issues. So if I am a woman working in an office and I think that I've experienced harassment or discrimination or something that doesn't feel right, what do I do? Do I just reach out to you? Well, so right now you can go onto our website, which is mtrain.com, E-M-T-R-A-I-N.com. And you'll see on the footer Q&A. And if you click that link, it'll get you onto a public question and answer site. And so you can ask an anonymous question and one of our experts will answer and give you some thoughts. And a lot of times we actually ghost write emails that you would then be able to send to your leadership that given our years of experience in this realm, we know is more likely than not to get you the desired response you need. Oh, that's interesting. So you you kind of help behind the scenes if somebody needs some extra assistance in communicating with their internal team or HR? Yeah. Half the time, it's knowing the right buzzwords and the right phrases that's going to get you the desired action you need. You mentioned the Q&A section on your website. So tell me a little bit more about how the the Q&A database is built. We did it as really a feature of our online education. So you know, we connect with employers that are providing education to their workforce on these types of issues. And as a feature of our preventing harassment uh, course, and as, as well as of our, all of our other courses, people have the ability to ask anonymous questions to our experts and receive answers. And then we just decided to take that one step further and just create a public website page mm-hmm. to allow that for everyone, you know, whether or not they happen to be employed by companies that are our clients or not. The beautiful thing about these types of topics is that when you've got folks that have been doing this for decades, mm-hmm. really, you know the issues and and frankly, you can predict what's going to happen two weeks out, three weeks out, four weeks out, because you've seen these issues 
time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. And while everyone is their own individual person, these issues are pretty common within workplaces. So you start to see patterns and and how these things are going to work, you know, work their way through. What are some of the most common questions you see? There's a huge variety and, and we cover a lot of different types of workplace issues. So, I mean, if we focus on workplace harassment in particular, I think both as my my experience as a practicing lawyer before I started M-Train and then as well as a business leader within, within M-Train, uh, what I've seen most, most commonly on the harassment front is not necessarily blatant illegal behavior, mm-hmm. but rather really toxic behavior that is just really troubling and problematic, both for individuals, for teams, as well as the organization. Similar to, I think, things that we're hearing about in the public conversations going on right now about financial capitalists, some of the comments you know, may cross the line to be, you know, obviously illegal. Mm -hmm. A lot of them, if they're happening once, twice, maybe even three times, you know, may not rise to the level of illegal conduct because that's a pretty strict standard. But that's not to say that it's not a problem. It's obviously still a problem. Right. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the workplace among individuals of what is appropriate or what is not appropriate, or did something I say just offend somebody and I didn't even realize it? How does M-Train help companies navigate that? So you mentioned workplaces can get to a toxic point. I think you had a color system or something where companies could kind of gauge where they are on this spectrum of toxicity. It's probably not the right word. You probably have a better word for we, it. We say health. Health, yes. <laughs> Turn it around. That's yes. a much better term than toxic. Um, tell me about how that works and how Amtrain works with companies on that. Yeah, certainly. So let me just start with the idea and concept that really it doesn't help any of us to create a conversation or a dialogue where any one group is feeling castigated or punished, right? Because as soon as you start doing that, then that particular group shuts down. Right. right. And so with that in mind, we recommend a framework, you know, as you said, it's a color system. So we call it our workplace color system, a spectrum rather. And we have green, yellow, orange, and red. And so it's a pretty similar, simple, easy system. But green is the type of behavior that we all aspire to. We all want to be great managers, great team members, and treat each other really positively every day. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful. And sometimes we are in the green, and oftentimes we're not in the green. And when we're not in the green, you know, we're most typically in the yellow, which means that, you know, we may not be as thoughtful or as respectful um, as maybe we want to be, mm-hmm. right? So that's, Maybe yeah. we had a bad night the night before and we haven't had our coffee yet. Exactly. And, and and that's not toxic. It's not illegal, but it would be we're not our best selves. We're not our most authentic selves. We're not our best manager selves or best team member selves. Orange is when, okay, we've now made, you know, a little off-color joke. Uh, maybe a sexist remark or maybe, you know, something that's a little bit inappropriate. Everyone's laughing, let's just say. I mean, that's like the typical situation. And, you know, what we say is that's human. We all do that. And so we don't want to set up a framework where people feel like you can never do that because that's where we get into a disconnect from reality, 
right? Where you, you have certain leaders saying, this is the way we have to act and we will have zero tolerance and everyone, you know, nods their head. Yes, zero tolerance, zero tolerance. And yet at the same time, we know that all this joking and kidding around is going going yeah. on. And so it's that disconnect from reality that starts creating problems mm-hmm. because we're not all, all on the same page. So I, I recommend, and certainly as a team, we recommend that just acknowledge it. Call it for what it is. Yes, all of us act inappropriately at times. And that in and of itself is not a bad thing. Not knowing how to course correct, that's the bad thing, right? And so, you know, when somebody on your team is acting orange, don't say, you're a harasser. Mm Because, of course, no one's going to say that. shut down. Yeah, no, Mm -hmm. first of all, no one's going to say that. And second, if they did, everyone shuts down, right? Mm -hmm. So instead you say, hey, that was kind of orange. And everyone knows what that means. And it's, you know, it's not an adversarial conflict. And then automatically people start to kind of, you know, course correct a little bit. I love that because it takes it takes it away from the personal. It's, right. You're not having to call out specific behavior and put a label or name on it. And when everyone has the same reference of orange is something we try to avoid. Right. It's a nice shorthand way to, to be able to speak up in a meeting or something without a lot of personal risk, it seems like. It's exactly, it's not personal. And we hear, so we have 600, 600 clients at this point, And we've heard time and time again, not only like the, the lead HR professional, the VP of HR or the general counsel, but there's a tech company in New York City where they have all hands meetings, you know, every month usually. And the CEO uses that spectrum. So oh, wow. the CEO talks about nice. we need to be in the green zone. Okay, so we were we had a you know we had a yellow period here. Uh-huh. You know they'll talk about going orange. You know we we pretty much assume that no one is in the red because yeah. to be in the red is illegal, and most yeah. of us don't ever think to get there. But the fact that we have business leaders starting to use that as part of their vernacular mm-hmm. and it, it seeps into the company culture we think is super helpful. Yeah, that's important. I mean, the culture is really what drives how people are interacting with each other. And if there's an easy way to point to something to say, this is how we're supposed to be behaving, that's that's a huge leg up. Yeah, it's a set of shared kind of language mm-hmm. and values. And as you said, where everyone, if you say, oh, that was kind of orange, everyone automatically knows what that means. Mm-hmm. Let's say somebody did have something come up that was harassment or discrimination. Then it seems like you're in the red zone and, and that's an HR conversation or somehow there needs to be a process for dealing with that behavior. Does that just go into the typical, you have your options of going to HR or not reporting it or whatever the spectrum of options might be? No. So actually, I think that, uh, and I'm excited about doing more of this. So we've already started fielding some of these questions and we tell somebody, hey, we think that this is something that the company needs to know about. And Mm -hmm. would you like us to be an intermediary for you and protect your identity, at least initially? Now, at the same time, because we owe our kind of responsibility to the employer, we will let the employer know that there's an issue. So we won't disclose the identity of the person. So we're protecting Mm -hmm. the person, Mm -hmm. right? And this has happened now a number of times where we will say there's a wage and hour issue happening. Or we just had this with, um, frankly, a museum in San Francisco. And somebody had a manager deny them the ability to take medical leave, Mm -hmm. right? Because Mm -hmm. they were busy. 
the department was busy. And that's a violation, right? And so we were able to go to the employer and say, okay, so some manager just denied medical leave, not understanding that that's actually a legal right, regardless of how busy you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we were able to generally describe which division it was in so that the employer could send out an education piece, just a communication piece to correct the problem without jeopardizing that particular employee. I love that. I think that is the future solution for a lot of the problems that we're seeing. In the conversations I've had, particularly women-only conversations, a lot of times women will say, I think I've been harassed or I think I'm being discriminated against. What should I do? And a lot of times women will counsel each other, not as attorneys in employment law, but just you, you can't win. It's a catch-22. Don't bother reporting it. You're going to be put on administrative leave or you're going to be treated in such a way that you can't succeed in that company. You may as well just start looking for a job now. And that's a horrible position to be in and to feel like you don't have an alternative. And what I hear you saying is, there's an alternative that kind of protects both sides. It's you can provide this anonymous complaint, if you will, or uh, report and give the company an opportunity to solve the underlying problem and not make it about two people, which is often what happens. Exactly. That's fantastic. And not, and, and not have it be personal. Yeah. yeah. So I, I have to say that even as an employment lawyer that has been in the trenches for a long time, and my job often before I started M-Train was to assure people that this was all safe and you should be using the company procedures and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. It got to the point where I had a hard time making those assurances because in the back of my mind, I knew that things would never be the same for that person, yeah. right? Because the employer can't guarantee a perfect outcome. They can't guarantee that you're going to get ostracized by people. Mm-hmm. There's just right. there's no way to make those guarantees. We could try to protect, but we can't guarantee the reaction, you know, what kind of reaction. I think that the current system for resolving problems within workplaces is outdated mm-hmm. and it no longer works. So it used to be for years and years and years that you would have your HR business partners, you would have a complaint procedure, and you'd have a procedure for resolving those complaints. And to some extent, I guess that that kind of worked. I mean, many people would say that never really worked, (laughs) but be that as it may, I think we're now at an inflection point and really a, a, a paradigm shift in that with the increase in social media and that as a platform to trigger the court of public scrutiny, Mm-hmm. So instead of going into a, a court where you're an isolated person without safety in numbers right. and you're 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 the the David going up against the Goliath of the employer with all that employer's resources and and power that's that's a that's a lose lose for right. the employee right and then all of a sudden with this paradigm shift that employee now has the power of a social platform to say something mm-hmm. and bring to bear the whole community's focus on that employer, that's safer. And so I'm not surprised that we're starting to see that happen more more and more, and I expect it to actually increase. Mm -hmm. But that's not ideal either for either the employee or the employer. There still needs to be some kind of a safe mechanism for both the employer and the employee and a vehicle to solve problems. Mm -hmm. It it is interesting that we're both lawyers, and I think we both agree that the legal system is not 
ideal for resolving these issues. Um, When you were talking about the lawsuit, I was thinking of the Ellen Powell lawsuit where it very much was her against this company. And we know that in the legal system, you can only present certain facts. I mean, you have evidentiary requirements and you have challenges to evidence. So you're hearing a very small part of the story. And the interesting thing with the social media trend in in reporting things or disclosing what a company has done, like the Susan Fowler letter, is you get excruciating detail on everything on everything and you have the community weighing in and when you have other women or men saying yes i've experienced something similarly i mean the gravitational pull of her letter to the community and what what we saw come out of that was amazing but you're saying that's not the solution either like that has its own issues well i think that that's i think it is what it is i I, i've been expecting this to happen for a long time like i like i mentioned to you and let me just point out like two things on that because i think the juxtaposition of the ellen powell case which it was went to trial in early 2015 Mm -hmm. you know spring of 2015 versus let's say the susan fowler letter that happened in February of 2017 is night and day. So the the two things that I would point to would be, you know, the difference in resources, right? So as an employee taking on an employer, you have lawyers that are working on contingency. So they're working on their own dime. They're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, they're trying to to save resources and take as many shortcuts as possible on the plaintiff side. Whereas, uh, you know, Kleiner Perkins, you know, I'm sure that they spent maybe a few million dollars mm-hmm. and and basically an army of lawyers right. on their side so that is is not equal right and then as you pointed out what the jury is ultimately hearing is is not everything mm-hmm. right because there are pretty strict rules about what they can and cannot hear mm-hmm. now let's move forward basically two years later and You've got the community, so you've got user-generated content, basically. So if we want to, you know, talk in terms of internet speak, right? So <laughs> it's UGC that's weighing in and mm-hmm. and and helping out the person trying to trigger attention, mm-hmm. and everything gets put out there for for evaluation. So th- that's an inflection point. I mean, that's right. that's you know, some critical differences that are happening. But it also has impact on how the problem is being solved. So you have social pressure to not behave this way, or you might be called out in public, you have potentially financial pressure of people aren't going to work with you if you behave this way. But if it was in the legal system, we would be creating law and we would have resolutions like perhaps damages awards. And so the impact of the social approach is unclear to me. Like, how are we? It, it's more affecting social change as opposed to legal change. And will the legal system catch up? My my particular, you know, guess is that the legal system is not going to catch up anytime soon. And I think that the vehicle that that we're seeing materialize right now to focus. Um, the court of public opinion to effectuate mm-hmm. social change. I think it's it's the step in the right direction because I think that there needed to be there needed to be a release valve somewhere. Right. I mean, there's so much pressure was building up in, in the workplace community because just like as a society we have the one percenters and then everyone else. I mean, you start to see the same dynamics mirrored in the workplace too. The people that are not empowered 
are really having a difficult time and it's, and it's obviously reaching a boiling point. But I think that what you'll start to see, and certainly I, I am believing M-Train is going to be one, one solution, mm-hmm. but you know I'm sure that there will be other solutions that, that materialize as well, is technology will be deployed mm-hmm. to help create solutions for that. You know, yeah. So I think that you know, social platforms that are creating an opportunity to bring the scrutiny, the court of public opinion to bear, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're hopefully, and certainly what we're doing is creating a safety valve so mm-hmm. that employees have their issues addressed, but employers don't lose half their shareholder value and their CEO isn't mm-hmm. fired from one day to the next because of the court of public opinion. Mm-hmm. So I think that that ultimately you need to have a solution that works for employers as well as employees. Right. So it sounds like the court of public opinion approach right now is at least bringing attention to the issue, which then opens up opportunities for companies like M-Train to help solve that problem. Because I do think that the social aspect only gets you so far. And it does require people to be public about issues, which often women in particular, if they're in a situation of harassment, don't want to do. I mean, it's a very big ask to go public on social with with excruciating detail of what happened to you. And so having the ability to have a more anonymous release valve or way of solving problems, I think is a, a definitely sounds like it's the future direction. There have been some discussions around non-disclosure agreements in employment-related settlements as ways of companies keeping women quiet. How do you see that play into this at all? I don't see it playing in at all. So there are some federal protections. There's also protections here in the state of California. As an employer, you can't restrict somebody's ability to organize with others and discuss and ideally improve their working conditions, including their salary and their compensation. So you just you can't make an agreement that would be legal. It would be it'd be voidable. You know, one one thing that came to my mind though is as you were talking, that might be a nice, easy kind of analogy would be folks might remember and I don't know when it was, maybe it was a decade ago when in the world of customer service, it used to be that irate customers would call people up, right, and or use their their help desk line and complain about that company's you know service or product, mm-hmm. and the, the company was able to manage it really in isolation, and then with the rise again of the web. Now customers can go on the web and complain, right? And, and it has an exponential impact to that company's brand, right? right? And then all of a sudden, you have a whole slew of technologies and services and products that that were created to address that paradigm mm-hmm. shift. Mm-hmm. I see that as being the same exact dynamic that's happening now as it relates to employer-employee relations, right? So it used to be that employees would complain if they were brave enough to. If and when they did complain, an employer could pretty much manage them in isolation Mm -hmm. and manage that risk, and no one was the wiser. Now you've got the web, and employees go onto the web, and all of a sudden 10, 15, 30, 100 other people say, oh, yes, I had that same exact issue. And you have, I call it unionization without being in a union because there's always safety in numbers. That's why unions were created, right? Mm -hmm. And so you've got mobilization of people in a really safe format and it it changes the balance of power. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think that in just the same way that all these technologies and companies were created to manage customer service turned into client success, right? Because mm-hmm. now it's like, oh, shoot, these customers really have the power to damage our brand. Oh, shoot, these employees really now have the, da- the power to damage our brand. Same thing. Right. And it also gives a lot of power to the employers too. the M-Train model where you can gather data about whether you have issues. Like if you had one issue in isolation and you put that in your file catalog, cabinet and you lock it, you don't really have the data analytics to realize, oh, this department is seeing a complaint or a a report every week, that's indicative of a problem that we need to evaluate and solve. That kind of data sounds incredibly powerful for companies as well who want to create environments that are more constructive. So exactly right. Our stakeholders have been dying for this type of information. Talk to any executive level HR person or executive level lawyer, you know, general counsel or chief compliance officer. All of those folks have been wanting to have tools and information that empower them to be more proactive and to add more to the bottom line and to have more influence over the culture. I think it's great. I think it solves a, a really difficult problem. And uh, I was just talking with someone the other day about how it would be so great if we had this external third party neutral hotline to call. And, and even even if it's not a big problem, but small issues, and maybe this is where the Q&A comes in, of this just happened to me. And sometimes you don't want to raise issues in the workplace because you feel like, oh, it's petty or it's small or I don't want to disrupt the conversation. Right. It's not big enough to make a brouhaha out of. But it adds up and you have so many employees who have these little issues become big issues because there's no release valve. And so I love that concept of M-Train as a release valve for when these issues build up rather than the only option being leaving your company for whatever reason or making a formal complaint that sets in motion events that impact at least one person, if not two people in that employment. This is this is fantastic. So I'm excited that you're doing this. I will put all sorts of information in the show notes about M-Train. Is there anything that you would ask our listeners to, to do or that M-Train could use help with? Um, yeah, so just... Maybe a couple couple comments before we finish. So one, you know, as you were talking, it, it reminded me of Reed Hoffman's blog post about a month ago at mm-hmm. the end of June where he called out the need for a public HR service. And really, mm-hmm. that's how we see ourselves. Yeah. I mean, we really are on the path quickly to becoming a public HR and, and legal service mm-hmm. uh, without obviously giving exact legal advice, but enough so that everyone feels like they've got somebody in their corner that's helping them, mm-hmm. right? And then in terms of what would be really helpful for M-Train is so that we are then in a position to help the market uh, or the community would be for people to go on and use our site and, and not only as a release valve when it gets when things get bad, but really when it is a small minor issue. It's like, mm-hmm. how would I tell a coworker this? How would I tell my manager this in, in the most positive, productive way? Mm-hmm. And that's what we all do is, you know, we ghostwrite things for people all the time, right? right. And so for people to go onto our site and, and use it to ask questions, we would love to, to have 
hundreds of data points reflecting and showcasing some of the issues and most common problems, especially within Silicon Valley, so that we can then be in a position to be that third party kind of facilitator and point out the issues to employers so that we can all collectively work to, to solve the problems. That's great. Well, I think I forgot to tell you this, but I usually end the episode with my guest providing some challenge to our listeners of something they should do that would help reduce gender bias in the workplace. So is there anything, I know I'm taking you off guard because I didn't mention this to you, but if there's anything that comes to mind that you would challenge our listeners to do to improve gender relations in the workplace, that would be great. Yeah, actually. So we have uh, an unconscious bias program and and one thing that we ask in this program, so um, not that you have to take the program, but if we get this information from listeners on our website, this would be really helpful, is to let us know which part of your workplace do you see the biggest problem. So we divide the workplace into the recruitment section. So when people are, are getting um, recruited and interviewed and onboarded, uh, that's one section. The second section would be everything that happens to you as uh, when you're on a team. So team mm-hmm. dynamics, mm-hmm. Um, that'd be a second section. And the third section is career advancement, right? And so which of those three areas pose the most significant challenges for gender issues? And for us to collect that information and feed it back to the to the community and the employers would be really helpful for everyone. Okay, great. Well, we will put a link to that in the show notes and maybe do a poll. That would be super. As well. That'd be great. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking with you. A lot of interesting and challenging topics. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. 